So we're going into, we have a series that we're in, and uh, we've had a couple of weeks in this series. We're, we're, we're establishing something. This is actually our second week. We've been establishing something off of Created to Be series that we had. You can go on Facebook, check it out, listen to it, listen to it time and time again. You need to. It's a lot. It's huge for our walk, our journey in Christ, who we really are, what we're called to be and not just do. We, we get caught up in the doing. I'll explain that a little bit more. Last week, we talked about the gospel of the kingdom. We're in this series, More Than Words, and our Bible is full of things that are more than words. Uh, we, we, we established there's 66 chapters in the Bible. There's 1,189, I'm sorry, there's 1,189 chapters. There's 66 books. It was written over 1,500 years, and there were 40 writers, yet one author. That's amazing. That author was the Holy Spirit. And so with the power behind that infallible, inerrant word, the inspired word, then there's a lot of power in words, these particular words, especially when they're put in the context of what they were meant to be. We're going to talk a little bit about context today, and I'm going to go through many familiar verses with you, some that you've heard, maybe you were in, ch- in Sunday school when you had Sunday school, uh, maybe you, you, in church, whenever you're going to church as a young, young one, maybe it's even recently, you've heard these scriptures, and they're very familiar, but I'm going to give you a new perspective on these I'm going, to, I'm going to use what we call exegesis, which is the proper way to extract the truth of the text the, out of the context of what the scriptures were written, written. So how that looks is if I were going to read scripture, I would look at a passage and I would wonder, what does that passage mean? And there's, think about it as circles. If you see the circles over there on that wall, let me just give you that imagery right there. So I'm reading a passage and there's a circle. Okay, that's where I'm starting. Well, to exegete, take it out of its proper context, I've got to begin to work outward within that book, what does this scripture mean? The context, kind of context clues, begins to give me insight on what that means. We work our way outward towards the writer, the specific writer, and then even towards the whole book, the whole Bible, because there's one author. That's how we exegete, that's how we pull this truth. I'm blowing your mind right now, but I'm going to bring it in. The reason I need to mess with you is because I'm going to really mess with you today. I'm going to mess up your Sunday school theology. You're going to leave here with a headache, and you're wondering, what am I going to even eat? I don't even care. I just want to go take a nap after all of that. So, so I, it's like this. We're going to have, to get proper context, let me use something that you know. Let's just say the phrase, you're crazy. Now, that actually has three meanings depending on the context. Let's say, uh, let's say you're, at, uh, you're, you're a young guy and you're about to do something and you did something just to impress your friends and everybody's like, wow, you're crazy. There's one context that has one meaning to it. Or let's say you're at Rusk Mental Hospital and you're seeing somebody and you say, wow, you are crazy. Now that has a different meaning, right? Different context, different meaning. Or let's say you ask your wife to give you a massage and she says, you're crazy. It's a slim... <laughs> Three different, three, same phrase, three different, three different meanings, and so you, you get what I'm saying. We got, it all depends on what the context of what's going on around that scripture as to what that verse actually means. All right, here we go. I'm going to go into John, because that's where we're going to break down everything, but I've got, to set, I've got to set a foundation in Luke and then in Genesis as well before we get started. So Luke, Luke 4, 6, if you're in your Bibles, if not, we've got it for you. Luke 4, 6, it says, And the devil said to him, that's Jesus, All this authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered. Delivered means to be given over. This has been given over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. 
moving fast. I'm going to be moving fast today. You guys are sharp. I've got a lot of verses to cover. But who gave, who gave dominion over to Satan? We know Adam and Eve did in the garden. Let me show you Genesis 1:28. in case you don't know. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now, this is the original command. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over, the, over every living, living thing that moves on earth. Now, and what God gave dominion to Adam and Eve. Now, Adam and Eve gave it over to Satan in the garden. <coughs> Satan says to Jesus, whenever he led him into the wilderness, he says, listen, uh, this dominion, this authority has been given to me, and I will give it to you. I can give it to whomever I please. This is what, G this is what Satan says to Jesus when he's trying to get Jesus to do what he wants. He says, and I can, I've got the authority. I have now have all authority, and I can give it to whomever I wish. Then Jesus, he doesn't argue with him. We don't see Jesus arguing with Satan in the wilderness at all. Not in the sense of whose authority it is. Uh, then, but after the resurrection, yet before the ascension, at what we call the Great, the great Commission, Jesus says this, Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Something happened after the resurrection, but before the ascension. The resurrection, the resurrection is when he was raised from the dead. The ascension is when we actually went to heaven. We went before the Father. Something happened in that gap that we missed, and we've been missing it for decades and decades. What, do you, what you need to know is we don't have to wait for the second coming for him to give authority back. Okay? We, he got it back at the first Easter. This took place, and I can support that. Say, uh, Jesus took back authority from Satan on the very first Easter. Something happened that Easter day, but to show you, I am going to have to blow away your Sunday school theology. So go ahead and say, you know what? I'm going to put aside every presupposition that I walked in with as it pertains to Easter and the resurrection. I'm just going to give you a little bit different look at the Last Supper. We're going to start John 14 at the Last Supper. John 14, 1, 2 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Mansions meaning dwelling places. The only place that it says mansions is in the King James Version and the New King James Version. Every other place says dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Now, using contextual exegesis to draw out the meaning within, Jesus is talking to his disciples before the crucifixion, right? Last Supper was right before the crucifixion. Can we all agree there? He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. He says, we all and we all believe in the ascension. We all believe in the ascension. That's the second, and then the second coming of Christ. We believe in the second coming. We know that there's going to be a second coming. Got that. But there's something else that we've missed, and we've put a lot of context towards the second coming that doesn't belong to the second coming. Think about it. He's talking, about, he's talking to his disciples. He says he's about to be, and he's about to be delivered up for trial, right? We knew that happened. He's about to be crucified. He's going to be gone, and then he's going to resurrect. So he's going up for trial, crucified. He's gone. Then he's resurrected. All right. Just track with me. Trust me. Uh, we need to get this because it's what happened on Resurrection Sunday. It's what happened on Resurrection Day that gives us the authority that we have today. 
It's what happened here that gives us the authority today. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Let's just say, let's get rid of the old theology of, oh, yeah, you know the cute story that we tell kids. Jesus is up there making mansions. That's why he was a carpenter on earth, so he could go up and just build mansions. Oh, you got saved today? I'm going to build him a mansion. I'm going to build... So let's, that's the theology we have. Jesus is up there building every one of us a mansion that have come to know him as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. Let's forget about that. Let's just think spiritually. Okay, Jesus is going to the Father to prepare a place for you and I. This is after the resurrection, before the ascension. Look at it. I want you to remember, too, that in the Old Testament... There's where shadow types were. In the Old Testament, there would be a sin-carrying, what we call a scapegoat, at the time of sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. There would be two goats brought to the priest. One would be a scapegoat. One would be the sacrificial lamb. The scapegoat is where they would put all the sins of the people. They would put a scarlet bow on the head of that scapegoat. Remember the end of the song? Though you're, though you're scarlet, I will wash you white as snow. Okay, that scapegoat would be sent out into the wilderness while the sacrificial spotless lamb would be sacrificed for the sins. However, there's, there's a purpose for both. If that scapegoat returned with the scarlet bow, then the people would know their sins weren't forgiven. Now, the sins were, were, were the, the sacrifice was made for the sins. The proof that the sins were forgiven was that goat would be seen either with or without that scarlet bow. So get this. There's two goats there's two, or, or two lambs, whatever your story looks like, taking place in this moment. However, one is carrying all the sin and one has been spotless. Okay, you need to know that because it's a shadow type of when Jesus went to the cross, when he went to the crucifixion. You're going to get it in a minute. John 14, 25 says this. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, I need you to remember two things in this. Helper, sorry, Holy Spirit and peace. Holy Spirit and peace. Everybody say, Holy Spirit and peace. You got it. He says, I'm, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that, I, things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let, he says, just like in verse 1, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away, and then I'm coming back to you. Now, humor me a little bit. Could he be talking about the death and the resurrection instead of the ascension and the second coming? Our, 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 our uh, understanding of this is that, oh, yes, that's that glorious day. He's talking about ascension and, resur- and, and ascension and second coming. But could he be talking about instead death and then resurrection? Look at this. He says, if you loved me, you would rejoice because I, I said I am going to the Father. I prepare, I've got a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, he says. Uh, I, I, so I need to go to the Father, he says. He says, for the Father, in your, in your passage there, for my Father is greater than I. And here's the game changer right here when we come to verse 29. And this is how we actually know he's talking about death and resurrection. This is how we actually know he's talking about death and resurrection and not the second coming. Verse 29 says, And now I have told you before it comes, before, before death and resurrection comes, that when it does come to pass, 
you may believe. He's saying, I've got to give you a lot of signs so that when these things that I'm talking about happen, you will know this is what I'm talking about. And then there's going to be several signs to follow. Let me show you. He's talking to his disciples. He says, I'm going, then I'm coming back. I'm telling you before it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe. I'm going to the Father to get things right for you to have relationship. That's the picture of the scapegoat as well, going before the Father to see if the sins have been, have been forgiven. If it came back clean, then the sins were forgiven. But at the same time, the sacrificial, the spotless lamb is going before the Father. you got to see this. this. This is going to blow your mind. He's, I will give you two signs, peace and Holy Spirit. Just hold on to that. John 16, 16, 22 says, A little while, and you will not see me. A little while again, and you will see me. But I go to the Father. And it makes sense that in just a few hours, a little while, you won't see him. But then a little while, you'll see him again. It makes a lot more sense when it's talking about the death and resurrection rather than thousands of years being a little while, speaking of between the ascension and the second coming. It makes a lot more sense for a little while. Then verse 17 says, Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is he saying to us? A little while and you will not see me, and a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, Therefore, what is this that he, has, that he says a little while? These guys were thick. I mean, they're thick, thick-headed. They think, well, we're about to go play some hide-and-seek, because in a little while you're going to see me, and in a little while you're not going to see me. Laugh. It's okay. It's okay. Lighten up. Lighten up. We do not know what he's saying, they said. Verse 19 says, Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament. Again, the classic understanding is that Jesus ascended and that he was coming back again. But look at this. They didn't weep and lament when Jesus ascended. They wept and lamented when he was crucified. Remember the signs that he told them that would happen? At this moment, when I'm crucified, you will weep and lament. We think whenever he ascended, we, the, the, the classic story is we, they wept and lamented because he ascended. No, they wept and lamented at the crucifixion. It says this, though, continuing on, but the world will rejoice. The world rejoiced when he was crucified, not when he ascended. So we can't, the old theology that we understand that I'm breaking back out of your mind right now, it can't be at the ascension. Continue with me. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Their joy came at the resurrection. There he is. He's alive. Their joy came at that moment. So it was death, lament, resurrection, joy, just like he told them what would take place. Our old theology says, oh, they lamented at ascension, and one day, what a glorious day it will be, we will rejoice because the second coming has happened. Yes, we will. But actually, the context in this situation is death and resurrection. You need to know that for where we're going. And then he talks about a woman giving childbirth, and this actually is a parable to actually drive this whole, home, this whole thing home, but I don't want to give it away just yet. Verse 22 says, Therefore you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. 
taking, talking to the disciples, he says, I have to go and restore relationship between you and the Father, so I've got to go to the Father's presence. I'm coming back. It will only take a little while. I'm giving you two clues, the Holy Spirit and peace, because they're very thick-headed. A little while, he'll be there. A little while, he won't. I don't get it. I get him all these clues. I don't get it. The res- then resurrection day. Look at this. John 20, this day right here that we're, we're in right now. John 20, verse 1. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Okay? She ran in first thing in the morning. John 20, 11, 17 says, But Mary stood outside the tomb weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Now, if you've ever gone into the tomb, you'll go in, you'll go to the right. There will be a a place where a stone where Jesus once laid and there was an angel, one at the right, one at the left. Now, this is a picture. This is a picture of a shadow type from the Old Testament. The Ark of the Covenant it would have an angel on either side, and in the middle of it is where God would rest. That's really, that's really beautiful. That is really beautiful. Verse 13, Then they said to her, Women, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now, what? This is really strange. Watch this next verse. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, and she didn't know it was Jesus. She didn't know. Now, it's really strange because she actually traveled with him for about two and a half or three years. She started with him around the beginning of his ministry. Jesus' ministry, we say three years. It was really about three and a half years in total. But she started with him. John 8 says that there was a group of women that would actually travel with Jesus. Luke 8 says these women also financially supported his ministry. So there's another thought. One pastor once said, you know whether she didn't, re- she didn't recognize him? Because he was so beaten, so badly bruised. He was so torn up from the cross. Well, that's a beautiful story. However, she was one of the ones who helped take him off the cross, so she knew exactly what he looked like before he went to the tomb, Right? So that, let's just throw that out right now in case that was your belief. So even more strange is this. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She didn't recognize his voice either. because she, she said she's supposing him to be the gardener. She didn't even recognize his voice. And remember last week, if you didn't hear it, you need to go listen to it last week. This image is a picture of Jesus showing us, hey, listen, the garden has been opened back up. You have victory and dominion, and I want you to take authority over injustice in this world. That was last week. Go back and listen to it. Not going to repeat that. But gardeners, gardeners do dirty work. I don't know if you ever worked in a garden. You get dirty. You get very dirty. Remember this. Jesus became sin for you and I, and sin's dirty. So there's this image of him as a gardener, he's filthy because he's still carrying the sins of the world upon him. Just hold on to that. She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and, and I will take, I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, and then he did something in this moment. Jesus said to her, Mary, she, and then she turned to him and said, Rabboni, which means to say, teacher. So all of a sudden, he did something to open up her eyes so she could realize who he is. Jesus said to her, do not cling, and this word actually means touch. 
It's the same word. It's a Greek word used 36 times throughout Scripture. It's the same word whenever the woman with the issue of blood just said, if I could just touch his tallit, the corner of his tallit, if I could just touch, it's the very same word. And so what he's, what he's actually saying is, woman, don't touch me yet. Don't touch me yet. I have yet to go see the father. She said, do not touch. He said, do not touch me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Now, we know he ascended 40 days later. We know that. Before Pentecost, he ascended 40 days later into heaven. But there's something that we've missed that has happened on resurrection day, something between Sunday morning and Sunday night that we just haven't looked into because we were actually told and taught something completely different. And there's a day that has taken place, and we're waiting for that day, and we're waiting to be empowered that day, but we've already been given everything that that day has to come with right now, 2,000 years ago. I'm going to show it to you. But he says, but go to my brethren, you know, the thick-headed ones, that ones don't get it when I'm coming back and I'm gone, the thick-headed ones, and say to them, I'm ascending. Right, right now, I'm ascending. I'm ascending. And this is so good. Watch this. He goes, I'm ascending to my father and your father, my God and your God. That's really good. Because he's landing this plane, and he's bringing it home, and he's bringing home the connection. He says, I'm going to him to prepare a place so that you can have right relationship with the Father. It's only through me, and so I'm making this deep connection right here. This is why we even get to be here. Man, this is, this is way good than y'all, better than y'all's praise. John 20, 19, 22 says, Then the same day at evening, the same day, your Bible, check your Bibles, check me, John 20, 19, if you want. Now that morning, he saw Mary. Mary ran to the tomb that same day, that evening, the very same day. That morning, he's saying, don't touch me. I've yet to go to the Father. Don't touch me. That same day, at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, what are the two words that I asked you to remember? Man, y'all are good. Y'all are really good. Wow, y'all should be teaching this, actually. He says, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed him, them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And if you're not rejoicing over this, your wood's way too wet for me to light. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them the second sign. Boy, if we just read scripture a little bit, if we just get into the word, we might see some things that, that don't line up with what we've been told all of our lives. I'm messing with your theology right now. I'm messing you up because I want to mess you up because I want you to mess up this world. And I mean in a good way. And I mean in a good way because we already know this world's messed up. But all the keys have already been handed to you, and we just don't realize it because we're waiting for that day for them to be handed what has already been gifted. It's like you are the beneficiary already of the inheritance, and you're thinking because one day my earthly parents have to die, I will get it then. But no, it's happened, and you already own it. You got to get it. And then later, that same day, remember... Remember, that same day he goes, I'm not going to show it, but he goes to see Thomas, who wasn't there, doubting Thomas. And Thomas, what does he do? He says, no, you know what? I'm not going to believe it until I see it, until I can put my hand through his finger, my finger through his hands. 
And that same day, that evening, what does Jesus do? He allows the disciples to touch him same day. That woman, woman, that morning, woman, don't touch me. I've yet to ascend. I've yet to go to the Father to make a place for all the people, all the world. So don't touch me. I'm still carrying the weight of sin. I'm still filthy. Don't get that on you. Some reason, something happened throughout that day, that evening. Now he's saying, touch me. What happened? I'm so glad you asked. What so on the same day this took place, remember John 14, 29, he says, And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. Remember, when these things come to pass, peace in the Holy Spirit, these signs, you may believe. Watch this. Hebrews 9, 12 says, Not with the blood of goats and calves, that's the Old Testament way, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place. That's where the Father is. He entered the most holy place. He ascended to see the Father so that sins can be washed away because he was the propitiation of sin, the wrath absorbing. So he says... For the whole, to the holy place he entered once for all. No, there needs to be no more sacrifice for sin. Once for all he entered there to, to be the sacrifice for sin, having obtained eternal redemption. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ephesians says this, that he descended to the lower parts of the earth and tells the devil, give me back the authority. Give me the, back the authority that Adam and Eve gave you. Yes, hallelujah. Give me back the authority that Adam and Eve gave you, the one that you, the authority that you tried to tempt me with to get it your way, but I know the Father had a plan for me. Now I'm back, and here I am in your territory. Give me back the authority, it says. That's what he says in Ephesians. John, in, in John 16, it says, at that moment, at that moment, after death, before resurrection, that Jesus actually judged Satan. John 16, go check it. Jesus judges Satan. And then Ephesians 4, 8 says that he led captive a host of captives. So this is the picture. Jesus goes down, the saints of old, the fathers of faith, the ones that were before the crucifixion, that they just got into heaven because they believed one day there would be something like the Jesus, that Jesus that would come. Abraham, Moses, think about these guys. These are the all-stars. So he goes down. They're in a place of of not torment, but wait. They were just in a a holding period. That's what the Old Testament saints were just in a holding period. They were not in torment. There's scripture to back that up. You remember the rich man, Moses, and, and Abraham seeing all those things. And he says, okay, old saints, we're down here. I just got authority. We're good to go now. Thank you for hanging out and being in that holding place It's time for us to ascend. But before we do, I need to stop by earth again. I need to stop by the the grounds and and, and go see Mary. There's something I got to do before we ascend completely to the Father. He's still down there. He still hasn't been washed from all the sin that he's carrying. But he did take back the authority. He went and unlocked everything for the saints of old to rise up. Follow with me. I I can chase this in Scripture. Follow with me. And then he comes back up, and that's when he has this conversation with Mary. And we all know, because he's told them, he's told the disciples, he tells them clues. He said, look, peace in the Holy Spirit. He's like, look, I'm going away, I'm coming back. He told them, and he told them, and he told them. But we all know that if you want something done done right, you've got to tell a woman to do it. (laughs) It's scripture. It's scripture. 
I'm so sorry, guys. You got to step your game up because these women, they get it done. The saints said, okay, while you do that, while you do that, while you're talking to Mary, while you do that, then we're going to go around, we're going to check out this new Jerusalem. You're like, what? Well, this dude's crazy. This dude's crazy. But look at this. Matthew 27, 52, 53 says, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. There it is. There, there it is. And Abraham's looking around. He's making comments, and he's like, oh, look at that Walmart parking lot. That's where I used to play ball. <laughs> look at all these Starbucks everywhere. You know, all we had was Hebrews. <laughs> Man, <laughs> y'all are really generous to laugh at that right there, I tell you. <laughs> really generous. But wouldn't it be cool if there was a verse-by-verse description of what happened that Sunday morning, that resurrection day, from Sunday morning to Sunday night when Jesus went into the presence of the Father? Wouldn't it be cool if, if God put that in Scripture? Maybe he did. There, there are some things, guys, that we don't understand. Listen, you need to hear this, but that doesn't mean Scripture is not true. It just means we don't quite understand it yet. God is bigger than we are. He gets it. He made it. He's trying to teach it in. Remember the thick-headed ones? A little while, what is he talking about? A little while he's here, and a little while he's... You're not thick-headed. Sometimes, then we read the, we read the book of Daniel, and we think, uh, that's stuff that's going to happen in the future. However, we don't realize that this was thousands of years uh, before, this was years before, sorry, hundreds of years before, some 700 years before the crucifixion, and what happened at the crucifixion was the future from the time that Daniel was written. Jesus is not going, going to take back dominion one day. He has already taken back dominion. Uh, what that, and that's what we are seeing right here, right now, right here today. John 12, I'm going to go backwards. John 12, 31 says this. He, Jesus himself said, now is the judgment of this world. Now is the judgment of this world. It says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everything I said explains this. John 16 backs it up. Jesus is saying, guys, what Adam and Eve handed over, I'm going back. I'm about to get it. Look at Daniel. Daniel 7, verse 9 through 11 says, I watched till thrones were put into place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. Jesus said he was going to the Father. The Ancient of Days is the Father. He says, I'm going to the Father. He says, and I watched till thrones were put into place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garments, as white as snow, just envision this. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and a thousand thousands ministered to him. That's a million for you guys. And a ten thousand times, ten thousand stood before him. That's a hundred million. The court was seated, and the books were open. And when we see that, we think, uh huh, that's talking about revelation. But what we don't get it is 
there, was, there, was, there is a judgment seat that is coming, and that's the one where Jesus will stand before each and every one of us who are in Christ, and he's going to say, okay, with what I gave you when you came to me and you said that I'm Lord and Savior, what did you do with it? That's exactly what's going to happen. That's called the Bema. That's the judgment seat. Then there is a great white throne judgment. And that's what we're talking. When people hear this, they think we're talking about Revelation. That's the great white throne judgment. That's going to be deciding who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. And for those of us who are in Christ, Jesus is going to stand before the Father and between you and God's going to see Jesus on you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But Jesus said, verse 12, sorry, chapter 12 of John, he says, now is the judgment of this world. So there, is, there was a judgment that took place on resurrection day. And it's not talking about revelation. It's talking about resurrection day. Watch this. Verse 11 says, I watched them because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. That's a symbol. I watched till the beast, that's what it's a symbol of, till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given into the burning flame. And people see the beast and they think, "Uh uh-huh, again, that's the book of Revelation. However, in Daniel 7, there's actually four beasts. This was one of them. This was just one of them. Let me tell you what happened, what was destroyed on Resurrection Day 2,000 years ago. Sin was destroyed on Resurrection Sunday 2,000 years ago. Sin in position was destroyed 2,000 years ago. Roman, let me show you this. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. This took place. Yes, we wrestle with it. Why? Because we haven't understood that we have dominion over sin. Therefore, we continue to wrestle with what God has already given us. We wrestle with our own dominion. And we wrestle with sin because we don't recognize the dominion that God gave us 2,000 years ago because we've been convinced that that's going to come at the second coming. Daniel 7, 12 through 14 says, As for the rest of the beasts, the other three, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. What I'm trying to tell you that Satan has been lying to you. He does not have dominion over you. And he was taken away and his life was, their lives were prolonged for a season. But the things that they're saying is not from a place of authority. It's a place of just lying. And we get to choose if we're going to hand that over or not. We get, he says this. Remember, I was watching in the night visions, verse 13, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Watch this. This is Daniel seeing after the resurrection, seeing what would happen as as Jesus was bringing up the saints of old. When he was going to have that conversation with Mary, look what, this is what Daniel saw. And look, remember Hebrews 11, that's our faith chapter, the fathers of the faith, the fathers of the faith. And then it goes into chapter 12 and it says this, that there was a cloud of witnesses. There's a cloud of witnesses. This is the cloud of witnesses that Hebrews 12 is talking about in verses 13 of chapter 7 in Daniel. It says, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, the clouds of witnesses, the saints of old, the ones that he set free, the ones that were in holding in a waiting time, waiting to go before the Father as well. 
He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This is not going to happen one day. This happened 2,000 years ago day. Then to him was given dominion, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. That happened 2,000 years ago. He says, Mary, do not touch me. I have yet to be cleansed. I have yet to be ascended. I have yet to be presented, have to presented myself before the Father And yet be cleansed to make a way for you. We know about the weeping and lamenting at the death and resurrection that Jesus was saying, so that you will believe, because at the second coming, he won't have to convince anybody to believe, because every knee will bow and every tongue will proclaim. There will need to be no evidence, because there will be full evidence of the one who is coming at the second coming. That's why he had to give evidence of look for these signs because I'm coming back. I'm coming back and I'm going to give you authority. I'm going to give you dominion. I'm going to pass on those very things because now as the Father sent me, I am sending you. That's already happened. That's already happened. Daniel 7, 21, 22 says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints. You're going to love this. The same horn... Though he had, let me ad lib, though he had no dominion, though his life was just prolonged, the same horn who had been judged, the same horn was making war against, was speaking lies against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Boy, this is, man. Hallelujah. And this is why we let the Bible interpret itself, and we don't try to put into the Bible our own thoughts. This happened 2,000 years ago on Easter morning, Resurrection Sunday, God the Father, sitting before all, he, he looks at the saints, the judge, looks at Satan, He looks at Jesus' tattered body, and he says, Satan, you lose. Saints, you win. And he beats the gavel, declaring victory 2,000 years ago, handing over authority. Satan has no dominion over you. And you don't have to wait for the second coming to have victory. You don't have to wait for the second coming to have dominion. You have it. It's been handed over to you. And we've been deceived thinking it's a one day to come when it's already one day has passed. And it is present. And it is now. Saints, you win. Satan, you lose. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Get in that place where you know you're in the presence of God. Adam and Eve gave over dominion. And that's exactly what you and I do in various areas of our lives. Satan gets us to believe a lie. Your marriage is never going to be healthy. You're never going to be able to live up to that job. You're never going to have the right amount of time, finances. They're never going to see you. You're never going to be able to learn that. 
you're never going to be able to do that again. Your days are done. But you're going to take a stand. You're, you're going to live from a place of victory. You're going to live from a place of authority. And when Satan begins to impart those little lies, you're going to stand on the truth of what God's word says over you. You're going to combat evil with good. You're going to finally stand up where you were once passive, and you're going to be strong before the lies of Satan. You are going to take dominion over sin once and for all. Listen to this, Colossians 2.15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it. Hallelujah. There are many here that need prayer today. And in a moment, in a moment, we're going to worship. I'm going to ask my prayer team to come forward. We'll have communion. If you would like to take communion this week, you can grab a cup. You can go back to your seat while we worship. There will be altar team members if you need prayer for anything. And I know in seasons like this, there are a lot of people that need prayer. And I don't want you to leave this place carrying the very things that you came in with. I don't want you to leave this place without having someone agree with you where you're at. Helping someone to, having someone help you understand the victory that you have in Christ over the struggle, over your marriage, over your finances, over your relationships, over your work situation, over your, over your life, your schooling, whatever it is. Don't leave this place today without receiving prayer. Don't leave this place before without having communion with the Holy God and finding that nearness yet again. Father, we just thank you so much for grace. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. Thank you for the hearts that you brought. Thank you for changing our perspectives. Thank you for changing our minds. Lord, we praise you and we love you in Jesus' mighty name. Let's just stand up. Let's worship God because he's good. If you need prayer for anything, please don't hesitate to come forward again. If you would like to take communion, grab a cup. Go back to your seat. Have a seat and spend time with Jesus because he has made you a victor today.